to clamp the creating, living, and making. Uh, <laughs> let me just do that again. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Clamp, the creating, living, and making projects podcast. I am one of your hosts, Morley Kurt, and I am joined, as always, by Grant Alexander and Adam Mackey. So this week, um, I wanted to talk about something that has been in my ears a lot the past few weeks. And what I mean by that is I've been listening to this book that I've mentioned on the podcast um, called Black Box Thinking by Matthew Syed. And it's all about learning from failure and how we can productively learn from failure. And it's made me think more critically about my own relationship with failure, which like many of us is not always the most healthy relationship. Um, there's a, you know, there's a lot of phenomenons he talks about in the book. So as humans, we tend to be uncomfortable with failure. We tend to cover it up. We tend to disguise it with blame. Um, we tend to not really analyze it to its fullest potential, but there's a lot of really interesting ways in that people really do learn from failure in really amazing ways. And the kind of headline example in the book is the airline industry. So for the amount of flights, commercial flights that happen each day, there are an incredibly low number of fatalities. And I think this was last week, the unreleased episode that we recorded. I think I mentioned the example about how the miracle on the Hudson, that landing of the plane on the Hudson, the pilot talked about how Yes, he did everything according to the book, and thank you for calling him a, the- a hero, but the only reason that that plane didn't crash is because of all the thousands of crashes that happened beforehand and all the lessons that were learned. Um, I think there's a saying that the safety record of the airline industry is written in blood. And obviously, that's an extreme example, and I think the way I'm thinking about it more is learning from failure through my own work. Uh, through my own creative work, I guess, more specifically. And I think just to kick things off, I'll I'll talk about uh, one example that kind of sticks out in my head, and that is the geodesic dome air planter. So if anyone has seen that video or remembers, um, I made a geodesic dome out of bent wire uh, that's all hot glued together and then basically used it to hold air plants. And it was kind of a disaster of a project that I didn't really, you know, fully accept at the time. I think I've kind of, in how I speak about my projects, I'm very much like on to the next one in my mentality, which is good for productivity, but it's not so great for like learning from failure. So I think in the moment, I didn't really give myself the time to process what really happened with that. And I think the thing that happened is I got so caught up in the concept that I didn't think enough about the execution. So I was really excited to make a geodesic dome. And I had some really good ideas at first about like 3D printing a geodesic dome in 3D printing all the struts and then gluing acrylic in and making some sort of like geodesic dome terrarium, which would have been a really cool project. And then I started 3D modeling it and I, I ran into a lot of trouble in the 3D modeling. And... At a certain point, I, I started thinking about bent wire. And you know, I, then I got excited about that little detail. And I kind of just ran with that and very quickly lost sight of what was interesting about this project. In my own mind, the geodesic dome, no matter what shape it took, was awesome because I was so excited about it in the moment. 
And, and then at the end, I kind of ended up with this thing that was like very delicate. It eventually fell into pieces as many Reddit commenters predicted it would, um, <laughs> being in a sunny spot, it kind of just like eventually fell apart. Uh, the airplanes are now dead, which I guess is a good metaphor. And I think, I think I actually did learn a very valuable lesson with it, which is like your own ideas are not always the best thing in the world. And I like, like, I'm a pretty intuitive thinker or like maybe a better way to say that is like in my, my, a lot of my work process is pretty intuitive, but sometimes that kind of like gets me into trouble and that I, I kind of follow my own instincts or whims a little too much. I mean, I can think of a lot, many people who follow it way more than I do, but maybe in just how I'm thinking about myself, that's, uh, that was one of the problems in this situation. Um, so I will, I'll pass it over to you guys. Are your thoughts about that or, or learning from failure? I don't think following your whims, you can do too much because if you're not following your whims, then you're not, you're not going to learn from the failures for one, but also like that's who, that's what makes you who you are. Like you need to do these things that pop into your head to get the idea out there and it will probably give you an idea for something else down in the future. Yeah. Or, you know, you, you now know that that doesn't work. So you're not going to yeah. try that on a different project. And I, I totally, and I think um, like something I want to keep in mind throughout this discussion is like, I'm not saying that it was wasted time or, or a bad thing that I regret doing um, to quote uh, Sandra and Sandra and Stacy who interviewed on state into the spotlight. Something they said, which really stuck with me was like, there's no such thing as like uh, uh, regretful or wasted experiences. Like all experiences are valuable in some way. Exactly. So like, I'm happy I did that, but I think it was a failure to kind of lose sight of what was interesting about this project. In the end, the project was a failure because it's no longer. Yeah. It literally failed. It's literally failed. It's not like, so I've had some fails that I, you know, where I was able to, to recover from or didn't integrally uh, destroy the, the, the end project, but made it, not as good like and hot glue is one of them that i i got into hot gluing a lot of stuff together because it's just so fast but uh the bmw light that i have up there i hot glued the sockets in figuring they're not going to get too hot because i use led bulbs they still get a little bit hot and they've they're they're just hanging by the wires now so Mm. one day so they've like slowly melted and deformed over time yeah so they're no longer when I turn it off, they re-solidify. But when I have it on for a while, <laughs> I think I've looked, I've, yeah, they get a little droopy. I know. I know. We don't want to make the whole episode about like the jar, the dome, but the issue is that the actual execution failed, right? Not the actual item. I guess you'd call it. Like if you were, well, to make I think it out the item else, failing was kind of just like the nail in the coffin that it was a, a bit of a failure. Like I don't, I don't love how it looked. Like. I think it looked cool as a thumbnail and I think it looked cool close up, but like in our living room, it kind of looked like shit. Yeah. I, I get that. I've done that. <laughs> I, I gotta say it was one of the best thumbnails. Yeah. Thank you. For sure. Like, it, that was of, a success. The magic of the internet. You can make even the biggest pile of crap look amazing. 
but, but also in saying that, like that's, it looks like shit to you and to your decor. But like you say, like say the, the drum table I did, for instance, like I would never have that in my house. It doesn't suit me at all, but for the people I made it for, they loved it. So it depends. Right. You know, and yeah. And my, the point I was getting at though, was that you didn't have failure in the actual projects. You had failure in the hot glue and the way that it was executed. So theoretically, you could remake that project out of something more stable. And then you've learned Mm -hmm. from that in that having, and same with Grant, having hot glue around a light source is not a good idea. Yeah. And like there's, there were other things too, like try, I also got really excited about that, like wire bending jig, like that was inspired by like Austin's dinner bell jig. And I was like, oh, can I 3D print that? And then, you know, it was, it was further like getting excited by the micro yeah, exactly, and losing sight of the macro. So it kind of turned into a different project altogether. Yeah. There was, and then, you know, there's so many, it's interesting how many things happen over the course of a project. At one point I was considering brazing it. And then I kind of just was like, eh, let me just, I want to get this done. And that's sometimes yeah. I'm sure you guys get yourselves into trouble sometimes when you get into that mindset of like, I just want to finish this. And then you end up with a mistake. Yeah. Well, and, and that's what happened with my BMW light is it wasn't, I just wanted to finish it. I needed to finish it to make the contest for the, because we make enlighten us challenge. I needed to finish it that week and literally came down to that next day. It needed to be out. And I went, okay, got a hot glue, hot glue is boom. It's done. Right. Uh, so yeah. Fails are, are often are so learning from that and thinking about that is it because it, it's something that you said too. I just want to get it done, and I think when you get into the I just want to get it done, in in your latest video talking about the three D printed sign, at some point I think you said, and I just wanted to get it done, so I did yeah. something. I can't remember what it was. Yeah, it, like it was basically like, like when I when I was fitting the components, so like the power supply. And the switch into the sign, the only like uh, 3D printed way I took them into consideration was cutouts for the ports. And I was like, I'll figure out a way to to get it in there, which ended up, it ended, I honestly think it ended up being fine. It just looks janky. Right. And you could have done much better had you thought it through and not right. gotten ahead of yourself. So it's not a failure as yet that you know. Yeah. So you also it, it's funny. Like, you all glued stuff in there too <laughs> true we'll see how this holds up over time um it's also interesting like just a bit of a tangent but it's still related like when you're making a video and you're doing voiceover and kind of figuring out the points that you want to talk about it's interesting what ends up being like an important part of the video that may not actually have been an important part for you in the project like when i was editing that part of the video there was a lot of different things that i could have talked about but i felt like that was the most interesting and the most like prescient. And so it ended up being like a solid minute about just rushing and um, how like, yeah, like that, I, that you end up with a janky result if you want to just get to the next step. But that's not like when I had finished the project, I didn't have that thought in my head. That thought only really came to me during the edit. Well, you know, it, it reminds me of that old saying about like insanity is trying the same thing and expecting different results because <laughs> we, you know, you keep trying to use, you keep trying to go speed through stuff. You keep trying to do 
something and you hope that this time will work out. And it reminds me of, of something I think you said a long time ago. It's like you need to be prolific. Um, yeah. That was one of the things you wanted to be prolific about videos. And I think that sounds great if you're learning from the ones that didn't work and mm-hmm. you're learning from the ones that did. Um, and I know you're, you're very much like, I'm going to go to the next one, next one, next one, next one. So I wonder, do you, after reading this book, are you thinking back about what has worked in the past? Are you looking at videos that did well and seeing why they did well? Are you doing anything like that? Or are you, does that, do you care about that? Yeah, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm definitely thinking a little more strategically. Um, and like, so for example, like to stay on the example of the making art sign, I kind of knew out the gate that this wouldn't be a very well performing video because it's like, it's a, it's a small project. It is very specific. It's mostly decorative. It's not new. Um, so I think that was also part of the reason this week where I was like, ugh, like, I just kind of want this to be over because it ended up being a lot of work as well. Like I made the STL files, like found all the like US equivalent links for all these parts that I had, some of which I already had and some of which I bought. And like, I kind of already knew that like, even though I was putting all this work in that I wasn't going to get a ton out of it. Um, So I feel like I I am developing that sort of sixth sense. Me looking at it. I actually thought this was going to be a breakthrough video looking at the project. Mm-hmm. But I think if you had made a separate on air and as well as the making art, say an on air piece and then said, but I don't want on air and swapped it out for the making art, but had a thumbnail mm-hmm. with it showing on air. I think it might do better, but you could also just Photoshop yeah, on air you just style. lie. <laughs> well, Clickbait. Yeah. Clickbait it up. That's what That's YouTube what is, is, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. We, Have you thought you of having did you did you ever think about having like exchangeable fronts? I didn't until someone could... left a comment and said, Did you think about doing that? And I said, No, right. I didn't. <laughs> that sounds like a nice upgrade. Someone could, you know, take your STL. You know what you should add to that if we want to look at it? You should add you know, STL files available or something to the thumbnail. Yeah. Are you selling them, the STL file, or are you giving more? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, no one's bought one yet, um, but they are for sale. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Anyways, I thought it was going to be a breakout video. I really yeah. like the sign. Like, I want to make Thank one you. myself. I don't, yeah, I'm going to design it on my own so it has, you know, exchangeable fronts. But mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. And like, I'm not, I I don't think this problem, this project was a failure. And and in fact, like, I think projects like this are a great opportunity to learn unexpected things. I mean, that's how I stumbled into this whole, like selling of 3d printable files was the honeycomb coaster was kind of like a spur of the moment idea. And I don't remember how I thought of selling them on my website, but that sort of kicked off this whole side of my business, which has done pretty well like all things considered. I think I'm up to like 95 sales on my website. If you keep buying them, one of you can be the hundredth sale and I might send you something special. Um, And yeah, like that's, that's one of the reasons why I wasn't like 
no, I'm not going to do this at all. Because I always know that when you try kind of like smaller, kind of unique, fun things, like you, you know, unique, fun things come out of it. They come into your life. Um, okay. I, I got something. We're talking about failure. And I want to kind of maybe go back a little bit and kind of talk about what is failure to us. Because before we can talk about learning from it, I think we need to understand what we all think failure might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, fa- failure can be many things. Totally. And depends it's such on, a... Sorry, I was going to say, it, just, it depends on what aspects you're talking about. Did the project fail? Did the execution fail? Did the There's so many different things. I know uh, the point that Grant wants to make, and he thinks that you, there's if you learn from it, it's not failure. And I can understand that. But mm-hmm. I know, that's not that, my well, point. That's what you said before. No, I said that's one way they could take the potential title that I was talking oh, okay. about. <laughs> right, okay. I mean, I misunderstood there. I failed there. Um, but in, in saying that, though, I kind of agree with that little statement, though, because although Molly's planter failed, he learned uh, modeling like the, the 3D printed jig to fold the metal. He learned that glue can't be too close to, you know, like all these different things that you can learn from it. So mm. although the project failed, you, you learn things, which then makes it not a failure. I, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's also interesting that I think this is a great case in point of like how stigmatized a word failure is. Like we're very yeah. reluctant to call anything we did a failure because it feels wrong. Like it feels, I, we, we live in a society and, you know, and you can all, of course, take the Silicon Valley perspective of this, which is like romanticizes failure. Right. But for the, for the most part, like many people are very reluctant to associate with failure. Like they don't want to, you don't want to fail. Um, but I think the perspective that this book kind of takes is that there's so much to be learned from it. Um, that we should identify more things as failures, maybe not less. And I, I think I'm kind of paraphrasing there, but at least that's the sense I get from the author is like, is like try to identify those things rather than being nitpicky about it. So I, and I think to get around using the word failure and what that does or doesn't even mean, um, like, cause like, I think what Adam said, it, it's, it's bang on what it, it means a lot of different things. A lot of you can fail on a lot of aspects of a project. Like you can have the best project ever, and it fails as a video, right? Right. And you can have a shitty project that is garbage and does a gangbusters as a video, right? Right. And like, it's what do you want to learn? Right. Like, do you want a video to do well? So, like, if it didn't do well, then that is a failure. And why didn't it do well? I think maybe that's a good way to define it. Like what do I want to learn from this or how did this not happen how I wanted it to happen? Yeah. Right. Do you guys have specific failures that stand out in your head that you feel like you've learned something from that maybe you just realized recently, like was a failure or that you you're realizing like the true lessons of them. Hmm. Well, I have a lot of like, okay, I'll go, I'll go back into, uh, time and I'll think about like the first time I really ever kind of failed at anything was in, uh, engineering school 
Um, I basically went from like not having in high school. I didn't study. I didn't try. I didn't do anything. And I got really good marks. Um, and then I went to university and I failed courses. I'd never failed at anything at all in my life before. I'd never, I'd never had to try and everything had always worked out well. Um, and I guess from that, I, I kind of realized that, you know, you have to have, if you want to do something, you have to want to do it. You can't just be there, right? It doesn't always mm-hmm. work out. Like sometimes things work out. You're just there and you you happen to be good at something, but sometimes they don't. And if you're not going to try at it, then you probably shouldn't continue at it. Continuing to just exist. Um, and in that case, I was just continuing to to go to go to classes, sleep through them because they were always in the god awful eight o'clock in the morning classes that I hated. But I would just I didn't want to be there, and so I would just fail. and uh, And I wasn't trying to get any better. And I think I kind of realized if you don't want to do something, don't don't bang your head against it. Like if it's just if you don't want to get out of bed to do it, don't try and do it because you're likely to fail it. It's a good point. Yeah. I, I definitely relate to that in, uh, you know, like I did very well in primary school and for the most part, like didn't have to do a ton of work to get good grades. And I think one thing I'm very grateful for in hindsight is that I had mentors who pushed me to like go above and beyond and like not settle for a good grade, but like try to get a great grade. And I can see what happens if you don't have someone like that. Cause I had one of my best friends at the time who was very, very smart, had horrible mentors. And he eventually realized that he didn't have to do a lot of work. And by the time the end of high school rolled around, he just had no work ethic and just started failing classes and kind of like life went, I mean, I think his life went pretty far down the tubes as a result of it. Um, and, And now I really see the value of that. Like when you have, a smart kid, it is so important to like impregnate into them. Like, ooh, that's a poor choice of words. <laughs> it's really important <laughs> to impress upon them how important it is to like develop a good work ethic. Uh, and it's funny that we do oh, that yeah. in like this kind of like roundabout way where we're like, yeah, like, you know, don't settle for the A, go for the A plus. And I feel like it's common for kids to ask why. And I don't know how common it is for adults to respond with, because you will need this later in life. Or maybe we, maybe adults do try to say that, but it doesn't come across to kids. 100%. So I definitely got that said to me. Yeah. But it didn't, it was definitely a lesson I needed to learn mm-hmm. by failing. And I basically kept getting the good enough grades that I, like, why get the A plus? If I do, you know, minimal work and get, then a why do any amount more to get an a plus and it didn't make any sense to me um and and i don't think even me today could go back and convince high school grant to do anything more because then he'd have to give up something what do you think would have convinced you um oh that's a good one i'll have to think about it i know because i think if i went back in time i would do the same thing I would like watch Star Trek. When you were and, like 14, like what were you craving in terms of, uh, I don't know, like external approval or, or anything like that? Like, that's, I can't, like, 
I don't know. I think I was just had like a problem with with school in general, but I, I, I don't know. Let me think about it a little more while you guys keep chatting. Okay. Well, I, I feel like the you you won't learn unless you have the experience with something like that. Personally. True. Okay. I, I mean, I, I think it's true to a certain extent. And I think, you know, life is a balance of learning lessons through doing or avoiding the really hard lessons by just trying to be better and, and catch it and be proactive, which like, again, is like why I appreciate that. Like, People were like, like, no, like you have to strive for more. And luckily I didn't have to learn the lesson of like getting to university with no work ethic. Right. So, okay. I, when I was in like grade two or grade three, I can't remember exactly when my parents were approached to skip me ahead of grade because I was in split classes and I was in the lower split every time. So I was in Mm -hmm. a two, three class, but I was in grade two, but I did all the grade two and all the grade three work because I was bored. And they approached my parents and said, you want to skip him ahead because he's, you know, he can, he's, he's already doing the work. Let's skip him ahead. And then he'll be challenged and he won't be such a like problem in class. I think is, is really what was happening. (laughs) Uh, So I think if I could, the problem was I was never challenged until university. And if I had been challenged with stuff, then I might, I think that's where I, I, I had that. It's like not a, I didn't need external validation. I needed internal. I needed to have found it, it difficult and overcome something, mm-hmm. right? Like I wasn't ever athletic, so I could never like run or jump, you know, like on any of those things I never did uh, well. So I didn't get any kind of internal thing because I knew I couldn't, I couldn't even make the track team, let alone try and run faster than anyone else. Right. So I couldn't Mm -hmm. like all these kinds of things. I knew I wouldn't, why bother even trying? Why bother doing the hundred meter dash when you're always last? Right. Right. So you didn't have the experience Um, of like, of of learning to do something you didn't think you could over something like that. Exactly. I never did because I was always, I was either like I could do it or I was complete shit. I was a, you know, what ding dong up and down thick. It didn't, I didn't have any medium stuff. Um, Hmm. But okay. When I was, I, that's not true because I did learn, like I went, I I used to race RC cars and I would spend hours upon hours at the track practicing, trying to get better. And when you're there by yourself at the track practicing, if you stuff it into the wall because you missed the corner, you have to get down off the off the uh, like the stand where the drivers stand, walk across the track, pick your car up, put it back, and you learn very quickly to try and not do that because it's a lot of work, it's a lot of wasted time, you're failing a lot. Um, and so I guess I had that, and then I did. I ended up getting second in all of Canada at one point uh, in a race. You know we're first place got an all expense paid trip to California and second place got a little tiny trophy, you know, no sour <laughs> grapes there, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it was, I wish I had had that for school, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. What about you, Adam? Do you have a, a failure that stands out in your head is like something you've learned a lot from? Not really. Like I have, I fail a lot. I'm not going to, I'm not going to deny that, but 
I don't know if there's really anything that stands out that I've learnt from. Um, I don't know. Have you ever made something that fell apart? I don't really make that much stuff, though. So not really. I've had... Actually, no. Yeah. Okay. One thing, one thing pops into my head. So we, we bought a shed for out the front of our house. We have a really weird shaped like yard. It's a weird spot to find where to put stuff. So I made a deck out of like scrap wood. We really like, it was like the dodgiest thing I've ever made. Um, literally like two by four, not even two by fours. I don't know what, what it is, but it's like all pallet wood. And then the top is like indoor flooring turned it upside down and like V groove and put it together. And it has like completely just dis- been destroyed by the weather. And it, and yeah. So one of the things I definitely learned from that is that it is very important to use the right timbers. Um, but like, yeah, you step in the wrong spot, your foot's going through it. It's like, it's literally like 10 centimeters off the ground like it like the whole thing just sits flat on the ground so you're not gonna get hurt or anything but mm. it really didn't last long and um yeah definitely learned a lot from that but i don't know there's not really much yeah. there's there's nothing that really stands out i mean as i said i i fail a lot um but nothing it really stands out i think one of the reasons this topic is in my head and in addition to the book is because I'm working directly with kids a lot these days. And when we're in the woodworking class and you see someone about to make a mistake, there's always this like mental calculus that I do in my head, which is, do I let them make the mistake or do I stop them and show them the right way to do it? And a lot of the time it's like, well, how much are they going to ruin their project? Do they care if they ruin their project? Because it's not school. They're not getting graded on it. They're there of, at least in part of their own volition. Um, and it's really amazing how much they learn when they do something wrong. Like you see, you see a kid cut something a little too big. And then he's like, is this good? I'm like, yeah, uh, you're going to have to sand a little bit, but that'll work. And then they spend 30 minutes sanding and now they know. Um, you know, that's the trade-off of not being quite as exact. But then on the other end, it's like everyone is learning the, everyone I think has to learn the hard way in this woodworking class that you can't put wood back on. You can only take it off because they all go over to the belt sander and they hold their piece on, just go and take it off. And because it's pine, the wood just evaporates. And (laughs) some of them don't learn it quite as quickly because they don't, I don't think realize they don't have the spatial awareness to kind of like, see it out of square or kind of like realize the imperfections. Um, but some of them are, are learning and it's, it's fascinating. It's, it's so interesting. And I'm becoming so much more interested in like these techniques of like, you know, cause one of the questions in this class is like, like what are the kids getting out of it? And I don't think it's a, it's not a mystery cause they're clearly getting a ton out of it. Like they leave so happy and they are learning a lot, but really thinking like critically about like, what are the skills that we can like, put in point form that like kids get from this um it's it's so interesting i'm sure you guys see it as well like as fathers i I definitely i see it as fathers but i also see it in my woodworking and like learning how important uh checking square is yeah because the the first time you try and put a door on a non-square thing and you're like 
well, I'll just cut the door to the shape of this non-square thing and it'll just be fine. And then none of the hinges work and nothing works. And you're just like, what the crap? So something I didn't really want to tell anyone is that all of the drawers in the middle of my workbench do not open and close nicely. The top drawer is the biggest pain in the ass to push all the way back in because the middle supports are not square. Yeah. So the, so the gap in between gets smaller at the back. But mm-hmm. you have the Czech square guy in Australia. Do you have any of his squares? You got Mark Daner's squares? I do. I do, actually. Um, I didn't at the time. But wow. I don't know exactly where I've gone wrong. I think it must like lean in at the top. So like it's, I think it's square with the base, but it's not square at the top. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not exactly sure where I went wrong there. But I've tried putting on like metal full extension slides because I thought the issue was like the rubbing, and turns out that that didn't fix it either. So yeah, yeah. I think eventually I'm sure- though, I plan on I'm going to make a whole new workbench and just get rid of the table saw altogether. Yeah, what are the, we doing? Uh, Workbench 4.0. <laughs> I feel like everyone who does woodworking has has learned that lesson in some way or another. Like for me, building my 3D printer enclosure, um, I let the glue dry before I had installed the back panel, which was like to square everything up. And I like realized, I realized it too late. I realized that like it was out of square and nothing was going to put this thing back into square. So basically the uh, the left side of the enclosure is on two thin Lego pieces. You know, the Lego pieces that are like two millimeters <laughs> thick? Um, just really? so that it stands up straight because the whole thing is just oh. slightly parallelogrammed. It's, you honestly wouldn't even notice it, but I notice it. And it's it's there. I'm surprised the doors close as well as they do. Well, it's like it's acrylic and it's bendy and there's tolerances. and Yeah. Yeah. Well, so in thinking about like teaching my kids um, to bring it back to that, there's this thing, I think it's called like Montessori. And my mm-hmm. wife's been looking into it a lot. And we were actually talking about it at dinner tonight where they're talking about how basically you have to let them fall. You don't correct them at all on anything. You never say even be careful. And I just think like that is the worst way to teach that is going too far. Right. Because I think that's the same calculus you were talking about doing earlier when you're talking about teaching the kids. If you see them doing something unsafe, you will stop them. If you see them doing something that'll ruin a project, you'll let Mm -hmm. them ruin their project because they can make another one. If you see them about to drill through their hand, you'll probably say that's not the right way to do it. Yeah. Well, I think the thing with Montessori is that like they're also in a safe environment to make those mistakes. Right. I, and I get you can set up, but I guess I just, there's ways of you can make a safe environment, but then it's like, do you make it, do you, how, can you go too far in letting people learn from their own failures when you could try and impart some wisdom? Because I think learning from other people's failures is just as important. Definitely. And I think that's something that a lot of people have a hard time doing. Because I've seen very many people talk about their cutting boards that they put both different grain directions and they go, it's going to work. Don't worry. And there's like at least once once a month I see a post on, you guys were right on Reddit. 
my cutting board <laughs> is falling fall apart, you know, or my breadboard ends that weren't actually breadboarded that were just glued onto the end of my table fell off. Well, of course they did. Mm. Because as soon as it goes through one expansion and contraction, they're going to pop right off, right? Mm-hmm. But it's those things. If people would just learn from other people's failures, they wouldn't need to do it themselves. And I think that's as important as learning from your own failures. Yeah, I, I think it is to a certain extent. But conversely, like how boring would life be if everyone just repeated the same old Reddit threads to everyone else over and over? <laughs> Sometimes you want well, those those store those low stakes failures, you know, as a pin in your cap. I I get you, and I hundred percent agree. I guess I just look at it and go. Yeah, uh, I guess it all depends. I, that's yeah. like the whole black box thing is learning from other people's failures so that you can land on the Hudson mm-hmm. and everyone can be safe. Yeah, for sure. But that's high yeah, stakes, I, obviously. So it's, it's, I get it's what you're saying. It's definitely a balance. Um, I just, I think one thing I've been thinking about recently is like trying to balance maybe this, I I feel like this is related trying to balance sort of like what I want and what I think I want based on what people I look up to do, you know, like I might, someone I think who is a great designer and has a great style might have a really cool workshop, but that might not be the best fit for me. And I think sort of like part of the way you get to your own identity is through like making those kind of small mistakes on your own and just, you know, living life and life is kind of like a series of failures and mistakes and interesting stories and and everything like that. But, you know, there's plenty of failures that I'm incredibly happy. Like I don't have to make like one that we've talked about in the past is, is debt. And I've had so many people tell me like the pain that comes from crushing debt. And I am just so happy that I'm not in that situation. Like it just sounds terrible and I have no desire to find myself in that situation. Uh, and I feel like the learning from other people's failures is working in that extent. Totally. And yeah, I guess I, I'm not saying that you don't do it. I'm saying we should, and I think you're kind of feeling a little, I, I feel like you're going a little bit on the defensive and I think it comes back to the electrical take up argument that we had. on. Yeah, the- no, no, no. I'm definitely thinking about that. And I think you're right. Like it probably, so like, let's speak about that example, right? So in the think bigger sign, I printed it in vase mode, which means that the parameters of each letter is one 3D print layer, which I, in the moment, was a really cool solution because it really sped up each letter. And I was like, I have 10 of these letters to print, T-H-I-N-K-B-I-G-G-E-R, 11 letters. And (laughs) that's going to take off so much time. So I was like, great, this is awesome. But with one 3D print perimeter, it makes it so that it's translucent when when light shines through it. So I needed to make those layers opaque. I had electrical tape with me. One of my proclivities is that I, if I have something that will get the job done, I just want to do it and avoid having to buy something or, or leave or interrupt my workflow to do that thing, which is definitely a flaw of mine. Um, and It's also a strength. Yeah, you know, a, a feature it's, and a bug. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, like Grant was very quick to point out and as were other people in the Makers on Zoom Discord, like, Electrical tape sucks. It doesn't stick to every anything, which I kind of disagree with. I mean, I've used electrical tape for a lot of stuff, which oh, which I'm I'm happy with. It's not that. It's that it doesn't stick the way you're using it. 
and it won't stay stuck the way you're using it. Right. It it so, stays stuck because of the elasticity around a wire and it being stretched around. But yes, go ahead. Yeah. So, you know, there's a chance it will fall off. I'm also, you know, get on the defensive. Uh, I will readily admit that. It's also a very low stakes project because it's in my own space. And so I was like, eh, I'm willing to to take the risk here. And, you know, I think another kind of failure of mine is that like, when once I start down a path, I'm like hesitant to change courses, like in terms of a project technique or something. Um, I actually think it's going to continue to stick because the way I stuck it on, I actually did sort of tension it. Just it, it was a very finicky way that probably is not a very efficient way. We'll see. In a year from now, when it all falls off, make sure we'll you see. let us know. If it yeah. falls off and you don't tell us, I'm going to be so mad. Okay. <laughs> um, but so how, what are you going to do to learn from these, from this? You've said it a couple of times. I get on this path and I can't get off of it. So what are you doing to learn from that? How are you going to change? Because we've talked a lot about failures. We've talked a lot about how we should learn. But we haven't really talked about how we are learning mm-hmm. and how we are changing. Yeah, Knowing so I mean, you failed is one thing. And going on from there. Yeah, go ahead. For this example of the sign... Right after making the sign, um, I had the idea, or I don't, again, I, I'm bad at keeping track of how ideas come to be, and I want to get better at tracking that because I think it's a lot of times makes for really interesting stories. But the outcome was that I'm now making a similar backlit LED sign for Sarah Giffen from Viv Jewelry, and it's a collaboration that we're working on together. And I think just by virtue of it being for someone else, I become a lot less personally invested in my own methods. And I'm like, yes, the vase mode thing was interesting at the time, but definitely not the way best way to do that. So for her sign, I printed it with like three print perimeters. So I don't have to put any electrical tape on, ended up taking the same amount of time. And I think when I just, when I get into that mindset of like, this is for someone else, I can't do the same janky work that I would do for myself. I, I'm able to like sort of put my own ego aside as it were. And I think that's, again, like a a great thing I'm sort of like learning at the steam project and doing the sort of work that I do for myself, for someone else in the, in terms of making things and content creation, it's allowing me to become more removed from my own work. It's a matter of just taking that into my own work, which is just a slow process. Okay. And that's what I was wondering. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, I think one of the ways I'm trying to do it is like setting my workspace up so that it feels more like work. So like I spent a ton of time this week just like cleaning and reorganizing just because like it doesn't have to be this much of a mess. It doesn't have to be this difficult and uncomfortable. Like things can be easier. And if it is easier, then I'm much more likely to work in a relaxed, comfortable manner. Hmm. So that's what I'm trying to do. I think it's working. We're all a work in progress. What about you guys? Well, when I think about trying to, I, I know that I may not be the most self-aware person. I, I like to think I'm self-aware when I look at myself in the past, but I go in the moment, you are not self-aware at all. Like I might be able to reflect later, but in the moments, I'm not very self-aware. So I think about 
what do I, I, I try and when things are happening, be present. Um, and I think that helps me to implement the things I've learned in the past a lot better. Because if I just let my emotions rule whatever I'm doing, uh, things don't always go the way I want them to. That's kind of what I'm doing. I don't know. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you have any examples? Uh, not ones that I really want to repeat, but I, you know, whatever. <laughs> so uh, I used to punch doors and walls a lot mm-hmm. because I would just get angry and I didn't know what to do with the anger. Um, and the anger would go from my fist through a wall or through a door um, until one day I punched uh, somewhere and I broke my hand. But uh, I was much younger, you know, dealing with all – what did you – the prefrontal cortex or whatever you – you said you're turning 25 now on into the spotlight. Yeah, so I can now just your feel myself is, becoming more rational. Right. So <laughs> I was irrational because that was not developed fully. It is now I'm much older and I haven't punched something in a long, long time. But yeah, uh, at the time, I did. So now I, when I start feeling that thing that I just want to punch something, I, I try and just step, take a step back and, and think what is causing me to want to do this. Right, like, what is the actual reason, and what what will punching something do? Likely break my hand again because I didn't let it heal properly, and I took the cast off without going back to the hospital because I don't (laughs) like doctors. Anyways, um, so now I go, you know, I can't punch things, so what should I do instead? And I try and just think it through, but I don't know. I don't know if that's what you were thinking of, of things because that was clearly a fail. I, I didn't have anything in mind. I was just curious. Like, I don't know if it's clear, but like, I think a lot better in terms of examples. And so I try to to speak in examples as well. No, so I, I was just I was I, just curious to process it. I, I didn't know if that answered the question. How about that? Yeah. And that's I, that's interesting that you talk about that because, I mean, it's it's a coping mechanism, right? Like punching a wall. And, and we all have our coping mechanisms. And one of mine – um, is avoidance sometimes. Like if something stresses me out, I tend to avoid it. And like talking to my therapist and like better ways of just, you know, approaching that or dealing with it is exactly what you were just saying. Like just taking the time to like think about it a little bit or like, what is the worst case scenario here? Like, why is this making me feel this way? Or let me just write it down rather than just being like, nah, I don't need to feel that way. I'm going to push that out of my brain, which is similar to punching a wall and how ineffective it is. <laughs> uh, but you know what a lot of people get through life uh doing the avoidance thing and, and then they nobody die of heart said, disease no and then nobody says to them well you got such a like it seems like avoidance seems like a much more socially acceptable way of dealing with it <laughs> Wait, and, that just reminded me this is not going to translate well but it's so funny it just reminded me of that like tiktok or whatever meme that's like uh like, how's it going? And the second person says, um, you know, I'm not too great. I'm a little depressed and feeling like the world is collapsing. And the first person says, 
you know, you're supposed to just say I'm fine and shut the fuck up. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. What about you, Adam? Same prompt. What, what was the question again? Uh, I thought you would have remembered. No, we got distracted talking about everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, and just... Um, I don't you don't know, remember. About, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to remember. <laughs> thinking about ways that uh, you're you're trying to learn from past mistakes in the podcast. All of our listeners are yelling at the podcast now going, <laughs> just say it. <laughs> um, I, don't, I feel like I'm, I'm definitely someone who doesn't learn from their mistakes, and that's a big issue. Um, again, same as Grant, things I don't really want to talk about. But I also have gone through like, you know, the whole punching of things. We have, we have a door downstairs, the door going into my garage. I turned around, turned it around um, to hide the hole because the real estate, when they come to an inspection, if they see it, we'll get in trouble. But I don't know. I'm, I've sort of got past that now. My coping mechanism is now to just like calm myself down um, and more just go into a depressing state than an anger state. I think before it used to just be like frustration turned into anger. Now it's frustration turned into like sadness in a way. Not really sadness, but I like make myself feel bad so that I don't go into the anger stage because that's where the issues are. Hmm. If that makes sense. Like anger just makes things worse. Right. Anger has like repercussions in the real world. Yeah. Sadness yeah. makes things worse, but not as bad. Yeah. Not I as mean, physically. <laughs> Yeah, right. I mean, I've, no, when, I've, sorry, you, you keep yeah. talking. I was gonna say, like, not just physically, but I mean, like, say my wife, for instance, like, if I'm in a dis, if I'm like sad from like after having a fight, it's sort of like get over yourself, in a way, like, not, I don't want to put it down that much, but like, but then like with anger, it's like, how dare you act like that? So like, there's still repercussions, but it's not such a big thing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it's uh. I have felt similarly in the past where it's like, if I just, and it's more in terms of like, I did something that I might be ashamed of or don't want someone to know. And I think like, if I just never say anything or just bury this, then it will just not become a problem. And I I mean, I don't want to like diminish what you're saying because it like sounds like you're on your own journey, but like, it's amazing how much that like doesn't work for me. Yeah. (laughs) It comes back up. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah, there's like, it's, anyways, uh, I think. Serenity now, insanity later. That's <laughs> a great, there you go. All right. I think with that's that. the name of the episode. Serenity now, insanity. That's great. That would be, leave people that's, wondering. Um, it's a Seinfeld, Seinfeld episode. Ooh. Source All of right, sorry. Before we go on to clan mendations, I'd like to give a thank you to our Patreon supporters. Um, everyone over there gets the before show and the after show. And in fact, last week they got a whole episode because our recording was so just subpar. I mean, it wasn't terrible, but like we were all just like, eh, didn't feel great. Let's not put it out there. So we put it out there for the patrons. And I think Jacob from Other Dog Design said that he mostly enjoyed it. Um, but actually, it was interesting. I, I feel like this episode was related to last week's topic, which was, what was it? Uh, living with pain, pain. something similarly like depressing. <laughs> uh, 
Well, uh, something like that. But I feel like we we like learned like some of the conversations we had last week kind of like came out in a more coherent way this week, which is good. I feel like we learned from failure. Wasn't that going to be the segue for this episode? Yes, that was. <laughs> yes, to be the it was. Yeah. We're all in the end. But the way we're starting the episodes now, we don't even need segues. We just get right into it. Um, yeah. So it's a fun place to get the before show and after show. Um, you also get a keychain, and I sent out the latest two this week. Needed some extra time to get some stamps, and I want to give a special thanks to our top level supporters. Brent Jarvis from Clean Cut Woodworking and Vincent Ferrari from Because We Make. Okay, so since last week's episode didn't actually get released, I thought, you know, I couldn't not tell the listeners that I didn't have a clamendation. So I had to save it for one more week and say that this week I don't have a clamendation. So I'm going to throw it to, uh, to Adam for his. Ooh. Uh, well, I'm pretty positive I haven't done this one. My wife and I are currently watching a show called Bondi Rescue, and I swear if I've recommended this before, I am sorry and don't shoot me. Um, but essentially, it's like what uh, what do you call it? Like TV show made at Bondi Beach, which is in Sydney, so like an hour and a half from me. Um, and yeah, it's just it's really good to sort of show Australian beach life in a way. But it's like the most popular beach in Australia. It's like 30,000 people there every day. So on a quiet day, I should say. So, yeah. Nice. Hmm. Is, is it like Baywatch? No, it's not like Baywatch. It's like real life. That was a joke. Uh, oh. My recommendation this week, while Morley thinks about one, because he has to have one or else we'll never do recommendations again. Uh, my recommendation this week is uh, Sean Beckner. He did the Diresta Skeleton Witchblade, which was a – he took the Diresta knife and he turned it into a really cool, um, like, witchblade. If you haven't seen the, the actual – you know, the original Diresta Witchblade is, like, it holds a Leatherman inside of another knife. And I actually think it was really cool. And then he made a whole sheath on it. It's a great video. It's got real good Diresta vibes to it. Um, and he's only got like 69 subscribers and he definitely deserves some more. So go give it a, go give it a watch and a subscribe. Okay. You know, no one is allowed to subscribe to that channel ever again. Oh no, wait, you must have 62. Okay. Let me go look. So we need a few more. (laughs) I have a good one. This is fun. Okay. So I made a, uh, a playlist that I posted makers on zoom having coffee of workout music. And I made a collaborative with saying like, let's all get ripped together and add your favorite workout music to this. And I've been adding songs like every day and it's turned into a banger of a playlist. So for my clamendation this week, I'm just going to post the link to this playlist. And if you need some good work at music, you should follow it. And if you have good workout music, it's open that you can add whatever songs you want to it. I mean, if you start trolling it and adding bad songs, I'll just delete them. But, I was going to uh, say, this can't go well. <laughs> let's make this uh, the the dopest workout playlist. It's called Makers on the Move, and that's my commendation for this week. I swear to God, if I'm working out and Barbie Girl comes on. I, I must I must have missed that in the Makers on Zoom having coffee. I'm going to check that out for sure. Awesome. I'll send the link to it right my, now. Um, my entire workout is just Netflix. 
That's yeah. All so I there's like there's two metal songs in there right now, and I would be definitely open to there being more because I, I like I like metal. I'm just not the most like knowledgeable metal connoisseur. Metal's hard to work out too, though. Like I'm I'm a hip hop metal. I'm I'm a hip hop workouter. Um, but in saying that, like the gym I go to, F45 is like they've got their own stereo going the whole time, like most gyms. But it'd be weird to wear headphones there because like it's a class. Mm. So oh yeah. But if I go for a walk or something, I'm listening to the FX. That's what gets me in the mood. Who I think I've recommended before. Wait, Adam, do you have to go in three minutes or 18 minutes? 18 minutes. Okay, cool. We have time for the after show. All right, let's round this up. Do you have an Australian word of the week? I do. My Australian word of the week is DAG. D-A-G. Like a dog, a canine. Well, like a dog, but it's DAG. D-A-G. Yeah, yeah, but that's my guess. Is it like a... The oh, dog, no. the animal. No. A, a dog, a bag man. Um, I guess dog. is like, it's like when you flag something as not being good. Sort of. What? what? Sort of. It's, um, something. so you would call a person a dag. Oh. So it's a descriptor for a person. Yes. And, is it always a male or female, or is it uh, doesn't matter unisex? Doesn't matter. Is it like unisex. a stick in the mud, like a buzzkill? No. So it is someone that has no dress sense, like someone that's like, oh. yeah. Oh. So some like say someone's like walking around in like I don't know tracksuit pants and a t-shirt. You call them a dag because like they're not, yeah, dressed appropriately. I think. I guess I'm. I guess I'm a dag. I guess I would <laughs> like the word I would use would be like slob. Yeah, like slob. Yeah. There's, I think there's a Yiddish word for that too, but I can't think about it. Think of it off the top of my head. All right. All right. Well, if you want to watch the show, you can do that on our YouTube channel. There'll be a link to that in the show notes and as well as links to the Twitter and the Instagram and all those places. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.